Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you're listening to episode 93 of In the Middle of It, the podcast where parents and teachers can find ideas, strategies, and resources for connecting with teens. Hey there, I'm Amy, also known as the Ish Girl, and I am so excited that you're with me today. Now, for many of you, you may be already rolling along in your classrooms, and I am super curious about what that looks like. Are you face-to-face? Are you doing your teaching virtually? Or is it um, some kind of hybrid? Is it synchronous? I would love for you guys to share that with me either via DM on social media, or you can definitely leave comments on on the show notes page for this episode, which are at theishgirl.com forward slash EP93. Now, the other thing that I want to mention and throw out there is that if you are still preparing, or even if you've already started, like we mentioned, and you're feeling uncertain or overwhelmed or even a little bit behind, Um, As far as your classroom is concerned, I would encourage you to check out the resource that I created that is called the Start Strong in the Middle Checklist. And that's, again, something you can find on my show notes page. And it is just a guide to help you remember all the things that are important when you're setting up your classroom. And it's the same one that I put out last year around this time, but I have also included an additional checklist to cover your virtual classroom as well. So I, again, just encourage you guys to go and grab that. And and you can find that again on my show notes. Now, one of the things as you start off your school year that you're faced with, and I think all teachers face this challenge, no matter which classroom they're in, is keeping your students engaged. And I totally remember my first year. I worked so hard. I was such an earnest educator. And I went home every night exhausted because I wanted my kids to like me and I wanted them to learn the material that I had to teach. And I wanted them to think that it was fun and I wanted them to connect with me and with the material. As you might imagine, I could not sustain that for very long. And it took me some time but I realized that I didn't have to carry all the weight in the classroom. And what I wanna share with you today is that if you try to tap dance and perform in your classroom all the time, you are going to wear yourself out. And I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, what kind of classroom do you want? Do you want it to be kind of an entertainment solo with an audience? Or do you want an interactive, engaged experience? And I think there's actually a better way to ask this question for you guys. And that is this, when you are learning, when you are sitting in a classroom as the student, do you like to be talked to? Or do you like to be engaged and interactive and part of the discussion? And I would say for most of us, we would prefer that second method of being engaged And maybe you might say like I do, I feel like I learn so much more when I'm involved in the process and can interact and connect with the other learners around me as well as whomever the instructor is. So if that is your belief as well, if that is something that you are interested in creating in your own classroom, that kind of captivating experience, there are really four important keys to creating that. And that's what I'm going to go over with you right now. 
So the first thing that you want to do to create that captivating classroom is you really want to invest time in creating connection, especially now at the beginning of the year. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to do activities that build community, that build connection within your classroom, whether it's a virtual or face-to-face -face or a hybrid. One of the ways you do that is by using all the tools at your disposal. And the one that I wanna focus on right now is your voice. Because the way that you use your voice can really impact how you connect with your students. And let me sh just kind of show you with my own voice. When I soften my voice and I slow it down, I think that you're probably listening more carefully and kind of leaning in and trying to figure out what I'm going to say next versus when I speak with authority and loudly and project my voice and maybe you're feeling my excitement or the emphasis that I'm putting on it. So you can also use things like the speed of how you're talking. And if you're talking fast, it's exciting and it might be a little bit harder for your kids to process. You can use your tone of voice like Maybe it's a little sarcastic, or maybe it's a little humorous, or maybe it's super serious, or maybe it's light and funny. And then that leads me to the other thing that you can use with your voice, and that is talking in a higher voice versus getting down and low. So all of those things are going to create some kind of connection with your students. So figuring out how to use all those well, because when you slow things down, when you get quieter, it really does cause people to, to lean in. And I will say this too, when I was in that first year of teaching, one of the things that I realized really quickly is that number one, I did not want to be a yeller. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but a couple of them were, I did yell on some days and those were the days I went home the most exhausted and my throat was sore and I just felt awful. So on the advice of a teacher who was more experienced than me, I tried to do the opposite and I would whisper instead. So I would also add an incentive. So I would stand at the front of the classroom and if I was trying to get their attention and they weren't cooperating, then I would start talking really softly. And I would say things like, if you can hear my voice, put your finger on your nose, or if you can hear my voice, give me a thumbs up. If you can hear my voice, um, you know, whatever indicator I wanted them to give me, and then I would either um, give them a piece of candy or my eighth graders, believe it or not, really loved it when I would put fun stamps and different color inks on like if it was their warm up page that they were using or whatever. Um, they would really enjoy that. So whatever kind of little incentive that I could give and that really trained my students to listen carefully, especially when I was lowering my voice. So they had to get quiet to be able to hear me. So that worked really well for me. And then the other thing I would say to create connection is to be authentic. Share who you are with them. Now, of course, that's within reason, and I'll share a story about that in just a second. But you really want to reveal 
like the TV shows that you like to watch or the books that you like to read or a little bit of your history, like where did you go to school and what is your family like? And I know one of my son's teachers had shared um, about her two dogs and she would tell stories about them that really create a, con a connection with the classroom. Now, on the flip side, one of my kids had a teacher for a science class and that particular teacher shared in some really unhealthy ways um, struggles that he had had um, growing up and some mental health struggles that he had had, which I'm not saying to not share those types of things, but I think you have to know where the line is and sometimes people cross it. And I'm just advising you as a teacher, you want to maintain that relationship of respect and oversharing can blur that a little bit. So just just be cautious with that. And if it's something where you're asking yourself, oh, I don't know if I should share it or not, I would say the best policy is if you have to ask, you probably shouldn't share. But you can also bounce it off of a colleague, especially one who is a more seasoned, experienced teacher. All right, the next thing, the second key to creating a captivating classroom is to be consistent because when you show up relentlessly and when you follow through, follow through, follow through, you are creating trust in your classroom. And that way, students don't have to question the dynamic. And maybe dynamic is not the right word, but what I'm trying to say here is when you have an atmosphere of trust, there's a lot that kids don't have to worry about as far as sharing or as far as interacting or as far as being maybe socially anxious. When they know that they can trust you and your classroom is a safe place because you're showing up and you're saying what you mean and you're meaning what you say and you're following through and you're doing what you say you're going to do, your word means something, then that creates an environment of trust. And, and I will say this to you, I, I know I've shared it on the podcast before, it's something that I talk a lot about with my own teens, and that is this, every interaction is an opportunity to build trust or break it. And when you work within your classroom with that in the back of your mind at all times, it really does focus you and hone in on creating that kind of trustworthy experience for your students. When they have that trust for you, then they're going to be much more willing to share with you. So that's number two, being consistent. Number three would be to build in collaboration. So what you want to do in your classroom is create this experience where your students have responsibilities. They're part of the community. And rather than just being observers and receivers, they're part of making things work. So whether it's the the methods of instruction that you're using, whether it's presentations or group work or things like Socratic discussions, making learning interactive for them is super important. But it's also super important to involve them in just the daily minutia of running your classroom. So maybe trying to figure out some jobs for them to have within the classroom, whether it's helping with attendance or helping pass out papers without having to explain it every time that is going to go a long way in helping you have that kind of captivating, engaged classroom. And, and I'm going to throw this in here too, because I feel like my first few years of teaching, 
I really fell into this category where I felt like, one, nobody's going to do it as well as I do. And two, I don't have the time to train students to do things the way that I want them to do it. But I actually was just listening to a speaker recently talk about what a lie that is, basically, because if you look at things over the long term of the whole school year, then if you take a simple task like attendance or organizing materials or things like that, whatever whatever it is, and you teach someone else to do that, and, and he recommended if it's a five-minute task, multiply it by 30, and that's how many mi- minutes you need to spend on training someone. So if it's a five-minute task, that would be, what, 150 minutes of training, which may sound like a lot over the long haul, but if it is a five-minute task that you're doing every day for the next however many school days and you multiply that amount of time, then 150 minutes isn't much to spend up front in order to gain all of that time later on, okay? So taking the time to train your students to do these little jobs and roles and things like that in ways that will free up your time for instruction and also make them feel more a part of a captivating classroom and involving them, helping them be more engaged. Like that is a win-win, I would say. Now, I would also say as far as building collaboration, that being open to opportunities for learning from your students is really important as well. And I know I've mentioned this before, but having this mindset that you're learning from your students the way that they're learning from you, that it's a two-way street rather than just a one-way direction in your classroom really creates this captivating environment where students feel heard and seen and valued and respected. And then the last thing that I'm going to say with this is that when you build in collaboration, you really do have to embrace the messiness. It is much harder to have a collaborative classroom than it is to just stand at the front and give notes or lecture or really just stay in control by letting it just be you who is instructing and maneuvering in the classroom. So you really do have to embrace that messiness because collaboration is so much more effective in learning than just being a talking head. All right. And the fourth and last thing that is a key to creating a captivating classroom is this. You must communicate clearly. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have always been just a puzzle nerd for sure. And one of the things that I think about when I think about communicating clearly is this. Do you remember those math puzzles or problems or riddles where they throw in every kind of detail and then ask for something hidden in the long list of what you've just heard. So um, there's a blue train and a green train and they're going 150 miles an hour and they're coming towards each other on a train track that's 107 miles long and they're going at you know X rate or whatever and they're going to eventually collide. What color was the first train, right? So finding that teeny tiny 
detail when you don't know what the important thing is to be listening to or looking for can be really frustrating. And I will share my experience working with my husband. We worked together for about five years. I helped him build his company. And part of my role was really pretty much as his Girl Friday and his assistant. And so he would talk to me for like 10 minutes and say, okay, do you, do you know what I want you to do? And I would be lost because he had taken 10 minutes and he told me everything about everything. And then I was supposed to pick out what was the priority and the task from everything that he had said, which for me was super frustrating. And for him, it was super frustrating too, because he felt like I told you what you needed to do. What don't you understand? So we really had to work together to come up with a plan for him to um, maybe go through everything that he said that way. And then at the end, pull out and lay out for me, okay, here's what I need you to do. Here are the steps one, two, three. Like here are the three things that are most important, the order I want you to do them in and, and that kind of thing. So what I'm saying here for you guys is to make sure that you you are using short, simple, and direct instructions and instruction. You really do have to know your audience in this sense because depending on what age your students are, even within middle school, there's such a huge difference even between sixth graders and eighth graders that you really have to know what's developmentally appropriate for that particular audience. And so thinking about what their attention span is and the number of tasks that they can hold in their minds at any given time. Now, of course, when you're looking at developmental appropriateness and those kinds of things, they're just going to be averages and some kids are going to be able to handle more. Others are only going to be able to handle, you know, something that's less, but really understanding what and where your your students level of development is, is very helpful in knowing how to communicate clearly. And then I would also say you want to use multiple means of communicating with them. So you can't always just say it one time or put it in email one time or write it on the board one time. You want to have it in email. You want to have it on your website platform um, or e-learning platform. You want to display it in your classroom. You want to have it on written on paper notes. You want to use videos or audio messages, smoke signals, like whatever it is that will help you communicate clearly with your students over a variety of ways that reach different learning styles, that's what you want to do. And then what I would say, and this kind of circles back around to when I was talking about using all your tools and using your voice, and that is with the communicating clearly, you want to enforce and reinforce all the things that you're sharing with them. So again, this also goes back to um, saying what you mean and meaning what you say. And also, you really do train the people around you on how to treat you and how to respond. So what would it look like if when you're speaking, you don't repeat yourself more than once? That trains your students to pay attention when you do speak. And clearly, this does not apply to students with special needs or plans that, that are configured for them. But truly, if you only say it once, students will learn to listen when you speak. Now that is in conjunction with 
you say it once, but if they miss it, maybe they also know that it's um, it's written on the board or it's going to be in an email to them or, you know, you have backup methods. But within the classroom, in order to not have to repeat yourself, train them that you're not going to repeat yourself, which I know is much easier said than done. I ha- I've really tried to work on this some with my own teens here at home, and it is so hard to not repeat yourself. And I think that there's, you can have grace, right? Like you can repeat it once maybe or, or whatever, but really following through and deciding what you want and what you're comfortable with. Like, again, like I said, I'm comfortable with, I'll say it once to my kids, maybe they didn't hear or weren't paying attention or whatever. I am gracious with them and I'll repeat it. But after that second time, usually I'll point them in the direction of, you know, their dad or their sibling or whatever and say, she heard what I said, he heard what I said, you know, ask them. So anyway, not that I'm perfect at it, but it's a goal, right? Like hashtag goals. Now, if you want a captivating classroom, you really do need a mix of all of those key ingredients, connection, consistency, collaboration, and clarity. And when you have these, you're really setting yourself and your students up for an interactive, engaging learning experience. One where you have enough time to go home and maybe binge watch your favorite show at the end of the day while grading papers, of course. Thank you guys for listening today. I hope that you are enjoying creating your classrooms and getting geared up for the year and maybe even engaging with students if you've already started the school year. I hope that that is going super well for you. I just want to encourage you and tell you what superheroes I think you teachers are because man, is this year a challenge. And I hope you're finding the joy in that challenge and maybe some benefits for how you're doing things right now. Not to be a total Pollyanna at all, because I know, again, I know that this is such a challenging time and there's so much that's being expected of teachers right now. But I do think that when you look closely and you look at all the little things, you will find the silver lining, I guess is the way I'm going to say it. Okay, thank you guys again for hanging out today. And I would just invite you, if you are feeling helped or encouraged or inspired in any way at all, I would invite you to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That truly is the best way to help others just like you find these resources. From an ish girl who, speaking of binge watching shows, could binge watch Gilmore Girls over and over and over. I'm so grateful to be in the middle of it together.